recording with Mr. Jeff Nyquist on Friday, April 28th, 2 and 9 p.m. Friday, April 28th, 2023 at 2 and 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, if anybody wonders why I ever say the full date like that, it's because very quickly time passes and you listen to an episode and you're like, April when? April, that makes it, especially in the last three years, that makes a huge difference. What are you talking about? Are you talking about bioweapon safety in July 2019 or July 2020? Are you discussing Ukraine in 2021 or 2023? Very, very massive differences in uh, in dates and their implications. So that's why I do that. Um, if, uh, if you guys want to support the podcast, please click on that little red button. If you're watching on Locals, you should be. That's uh, Or if you're watching on Rumble, that's Locals. Click on that red button, support the podcast, use promo code Tommy, or you can go to the description and get the merch. Those are all my own custom designs. But Mr. Nyquist has been on here several times before. He has the patience of a saint, and I rescheduled today because I'm a bad person and a bad host. And uh, we were both remarking on how beautiful and sunny and springy it is. And, well, we can't get too lost in the clouds and... We can't love God's perfect creation too much. So we're going to instead talk about war, destruction, genocide, famine, impending World War III. And with that unholy introduction, Mr. Nyquist, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. <laughs> uh, the world is not doing so well. No. And uh, so we're, we're kind of lucky to be in the United States and not in Eastern Europe right now. Um, the Ukraine war... Which is, you know, it's getting crazy. There's two dimensions to this war. There's the information side of the war, mm-hmm. and then there's the kinetic side of the war, of course. And people, I, I'm just, uh, I'm in despair over how p- easily manipulated people are, both on the right and the left, when it comes to war. They, because they, they're too busy living their lives, I guess it's not their fault, and they, they haven't really studied the subject um uh and the background that is needed so what we have is we have a lot of people throwing around facts that are not properly analyzed and those facts are taken for some kind of deeper meaning or understanding when they're not because you take any fact well how do you understand it that's not an easy question Hmm. so with a war it's so complicated you have all kinds of layers of fact you have well it is one thing in ukraine war casualties we don't know. This is a war where we don't know how many people are actually being killed. We yeah. don't. We have disinformation being leaked, both from the Russian side, the American side, the Ukrainian side. You know, and and it's uh, look, there's some, but but there is some. There are rules of thumb that we know. They can count burned out vehicles from space. Mm-hmm. They know how many tanks were destroyed. They can count them. So let's talk about uh, let's let's do an overview start at the beginning because people are saying april of 2023 um how did we get here the war started on the 24th of february uh 2022 last year so we're you know more than 14 more than 14 months into this war um now as of today it's the it's the 28th of of april today as you said uh so the Russian plan, we, we understand this now, it's it's pretty clear. The Russian plan for invading Ukraine was to go after Kiev. They were planning to kill, they had a, a death list. They were going to kill 30 top people in the Ukrainian government, including President Zelensky. They're going to eliminate, decapitate the government, put in a puppet government, 
that was controlled from Moscow, and then they were going to say they fixed Ukraine sound, and that it's all sound, all good. Sound familiar? That's yeah. That's what the Russians were planning to do in Ukraine, and of course, they they had a really good chance to succeed. Uh, they they sent in almost two hundred thousand troops. Uh, they came in. They 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 came in. They hoped that they they kept denying they were going to invade. Remember, right up to the end, you know, it's just military maneuvers. And we did that as well. Our intelligence agency said that as well. Sorry, resizing the screen. Our intelligence agency said that as well. Right? They're building up tons and thousands of tons of armament, but there's no reason to believe they're going to invade. All well, right. I think with Iraq, when we did that to both Gulf Wars, I think it was, well, we didn't really invade Iraq in the first Gulf War, but I think it was pretty clear. I knew we were going to invade Iraq just from uh, reading in the newspapers and, 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 and reading books about what was going on in the administration at the time. I knew in the December before, December of 2002, 2002, because they invaded in, in March, what was it, March, March of 2003. 2003. Yeah. Uh, I knew that then. I it was pretty clear. Anybody who uh, knew how to read events could I, tell that was going to happen. Hold on, let's hold on, let's, let's let's put a timeout on Ukraine. How, how how did you how did you know that with such certainty? And I'm not and I'm not I'm not grilling you. I I I love reading, and I love looking at. And the uh, more Bob I read, Woodward, it... yeah, Bob Woodward did a book on Bush Bush at War. Okay. I think it was the first volume. He wrote a whole bunch of volumes. They were really very good. Um, uh, because he gave, he talked to people in the administration, like Condoleezza Rice, the National Security Advisor, and and he got a complete picture of of what President Bush was thinking, and what his thinking was after 9/11, you know, and then the war in Afghanistan started, you know, like I think that was early October of uh, 2001, they went right after Al Qaeda right uh, near the beginning, so that had already started, but then the Iraq part of it. And of course, um, so I, I immediately I was reading everything I could get that had good solid information on what was going on in the administration because that's it's really the the what the people say the nuances of what they're saying mm -hmm. that tells you and it was kind of Lisa Rice was a, a national security advisor who she had scorn for dictators and. You know the the bad guys, so to speak, and and President Bush had a, you know, sort of this uh, very simple notion that there's these bad guys and we need to get them. Remember, yeah, you're either with us or against us. Yeah. What I didn't know, it took me years to learn that I learned this from a former CIA official, which uh, kind of surprised me that I hadn't figured it out. Um, there's there was a connection between the 9/11 hijackers in in Iran, not Iraq. Oh. Some of them had gone through some training in Iran, and uh, this was what was the name of the journal? journalist wrote an actual book about it, um, uh, and um, a Timmerman. Um, I'm forgetting his last name, but Timmerman wrote a couple books: one on the Iraq War, which is really not to be missed. But he 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 actually he was an expert on the Middle East, and he stumbled upon this this connection. Well, um, the administration. What they wanted to do is they wanted to go after Iran. That's what they really wanted to do. But look at the ge geography of the Gulf. You don't have any invadable beaches or easily accessible ports that are subject to being seized easily on the Iranian coast. The Iranian coast is more rugged than the like you go up to Basra and there's a lot of beaches and places you could just bring vehicles in 
can come in from the sea. Uh, you don't have that with Iran. You can't invade it. You don't have any invasion route from the sea. It would be like, you know, like there was no Normandy beach in France. It was all just rocks and cliffs gotcha. where you couldn't bring stuff in. So it, it was just not a coast that you could actually invade through. You needed the big, they needed the big port of Basra in Iraq. They had to have that if they were going to go after Iran. So the invasion of Iraq was a staging to invade Iran. Hmm. That was, they, you know, Saddam was a bad guy. He broke a lot of his agreements. He was playing games with us. And he, you know, he deserved to be put on trial and hung. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he, he deserved it. Um, but the problem was, see, now, now the problem, but the problem was invading Iraq was strategically not wise for us. See, that wasn't a wise thing because that really, I mean, you take the West Bank and you multiply it times the size of Iraq. And then you have all these bad actors piling weapons in there, like Iran and Russia and China, to keep our soldiers dying in Iraq and mm -hmm. keep the situation all, Prolonged. you know, turned upside down as long as possible and bleeding us there, uh, mostly of money. But there were Americans who died, of course. It wasn't like Vietnam, you know, where we lost uh, nearly sixty thousand dead, and and it, but there was a lot of wounded people, a lot of terrible injuries from those uh, IEDs, those bombs. Let's... So we got stuck. We got stuck there. But you see, what happened was, is we got so stuck in Iraq, it was impossible to go on to Iran and finish the job. And the job half done is really bad because what we did is we upset the balance in the Middle East because Iraq was counterbalancing Iran. Yeah. If... And by going in there and setting up a democracy, it made Ir Ir Iraq into a Shiite country rather Shiite run country other, rather than a Sunni run country, which meant that they weren't going to counterbalance Iraq anymore. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's knocking down a building and taking out one column. It's like if you're going to take it out, you got to hit all four columns at once. You got to hit all of them. And I guess what I understood from my source is that Condoleezza Rice basically talked Bush down from going after Iran. Wow. And that was, yeah, uh, and that's the story behind that. So that was a blunder, which cost us uh, in the Middle East. And now it's Saudi Arabia leaving and going to be with China and Russia is a consequence of that. Hmm. Because we can't, we're not really willing to protect them anymore. Well, Biden isn't, and he's kind of shoved them out into the, into the, uh, into the wilds. And they've gone to look for who's going to protect us, and they've gone to looking for China. Yeah, they've gone to a new sugar daddy. Yeah, they because they can't, they're not defensible. Iran is a regional power that's quite competent and could take them over. And But Iran is sort of on a leash that China and Russia has uh, because the, Iran needs China and Russia. They, they all need each other. It's kind of like what you're saying about knowing it was going to happen. <clears throat> it's kind of like when you're younger. I remember, you know, a decision would be made by mom and dad and they would sort of buffer it. They would sort of soften it because, you know, we'd all be me and my brothers, all be little kids. And it would be something like, um, like I remember when our first poodle Barney was getting older, I was just going into high school. So it wasn't as like traumatic, but when we were little, right, we didn't, I think he lived to 13. I think we were expecting him to die at like seven. So it's kind of a moot point. But I remember like mom and dad knew, you know, they're adults that the dog was going to get too old. And it was going to be in pain. You're going to have to put it down, right? And I just remember years prior, you know, dad would just kind of like 
floated every once in a while, almost seeding it into the public consciousness of like, you know, Barney's getting old. He's, you know, he's going to go. And when you're younger, you're like, he's going to live forever. And luckily he, he did keep going. So by the time he did pass, I was 16. And by then I was in high school and, you know, running after women. So it kind of didn't. But they kind of put it out there like something's happening. You know, I remember when my grandma was really getting up in age. And this was only a couple of years ago. And it wasn't really as necessary, but it was still there. You know, mom, dad, the aunts, they'd be like, you know, it's. You know, everyone really, you know, let's let's give Mimi like a good Christmas. Everyone really hang out with her. Don't leave her in the living room by herself. Let's all, and it, it's the, you know, no one wants to touch the, the, the fire, but we all know she's getting up. Then, you know, eventually she passes. And when you're little, you hear these little floats of what I, what are uh, symbolic of like national decree. And you think that there's like, an ability to change it. Barney's never going to die. And as you get older, you realize that the decision or the observation had been made. There was no negotiating. They were just softening the blow. And I feel like the more you read about administrations or the administrative state, the the unelected, never-changing, deep state, blob, whatever you want to call it, you can sort of see what their decrees are, but they float it out slowly. It's like... 9-11, we're going to go take down Afghanistan. We're all like, yeah, and they're like, and anyone involved with them? And everyone's like, huh? <laughs> and they're like, you know, and it's, is Saddam involved? And everybody's like, I don't know. But you realize, like, the decision was made. They're just mm-hmm. softening it. So I'm wondering now if we can sort of loop that into Ukraine. Was there writing on the wall, aside from the obvious, us going in in 2014, was there writing on the wall that this was, this was inevitable? And then oh, we finally well, did it. yeah. When when the revolution happened in 2014, and I I did a book uh, with a couple other guys back then, um, the new tactics of global war, which was really done in response to the 2014 Euromaidan revolution, because it, it it very much focuses on that. It 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 was inevitable at that point because that revolution was an authentic people's revolution against. Russian stooges running and looting Ukraine, um, which is contrary to a narrative you hear on the right, more and more like Tucker Carlson, which is he just simply doesn't Tucker Carlson doesn't have the background to understand what he's talking about. Unfortunately, I admire Tucker, but he's wrong about that. Um, That it was inevitable that Russia would have to have a solution to this Euromaidan because here was. Uh, a part of the Soviet Union, and you notice how Russia calls the former Soviet republics the near abroad, and it's assigned a department in the KGB. You know, I mean, it's what is it? The, the near, the near ab- abroad. The they near call abroad. it the near abroad. That's Belarus, Ukraine, Central Asian republics, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Armenia. Oh, it's not. Right? It's not English near abroad. It's a Russian word near abroad. No, well, it yeah, it's a translation from Russian. Oh, okay. Near, near abroad. Near abroad. They okay. use the that's the translation of it. Gotcha. The near abroad. Gotcha. Uh, there, it's it's really part of the so it was the Soviet Union. It's you know the fifteen republics that made up the Soviet Union are still considered to be, you know, our domain, so to speak. Um, But Ukraine was the special one because it was the biggest, most significant Soviet Republic after the Russian Republic. Um, Breadbasket. It it was, yeah, and also the mining, uh, the the technical skills 
a lot of Soviet engineers and scientists were Ukrainian. That a lot of their really skilled people. Um, the Ukrainians are a very um, intelligent, uh, adept people who have tremendous, uh, you know, levels of of, of capability, uh, as we can see in this war. Um, they are in some respects, uh, and I think Ukrainians will say this, that they're more capable than the Russians. Uh, they will they will make that argument that the Russians are not as capable as they are, that many of the people, for example, I've heard it said uh, by some people in the, in the former Soviet strategic um, rocket forces that um, that it was Ukrainians that made the strategic rocket forces from an engineering point viable. Mm. And that uh, one Ukrainian told me and his whole family was in the Soviet defense. They were defense engineers, right, in the missile area. And they said without the Ukrainians, Russia can't maintain its strategic rocket forces. That was Now, that's an opinion. It could be an exaggerated self-opinion from a Ukrainian. But I think there's there's reason to take it into account because uh, Ukraine was just so important to the building of that that strategic infrastructure in Russia. And Russia's had to go on. And, and Russia, by the way, has continued to rely on Ukraine. But when 2014 came along, this fissure opened up where Ukraine threw out – because Russia – Russian agents essentially, Russian, you know uh, – uh, stooges is the pejorative word, like Viktor Yanukovych, the president, and the Party of Regents and the Communist Party. Those are the two parties that were really in charge in Ukraine. Uh, were basically taking their marching orders from Moscow in managing the country and taking a big share of the, the loot for basically looting it and keeping the Ukrainian people because what they really didn't want, Ukraine, like in Russia, the real problem is, is when a middle class develops in these countries because they've allowed a certain freedom of speech and, and some freedom of economics because the old the, – the Soviet system still, the nomenclatura, the communist families, they still run all the important things. But now they've opened up a space and allowed people to open their own shops, to start their own production on the side, small businesses. And actually by – I think it was by 2008 or nine or so, just about – just around the time of the Georgian War, um, about uh, almost one in three, 30 percent of Russians either work for somebody that owned their own business or they own their own business, small businesses. Hmm. So this enormous economy had grown up. Free, a little kind of a little small scale free economy. And those were the people that were protesting in Moscow and St. Petersburg against when Putin went to get a, come back from being prime minister and Medvedev stepped down and he ran again for a third term as president. Those were the people that were protesting the Soviet style, you know, march that Putin had towards this, what he kind of Sovietized nationalism like Stalin did. And he took all the Soviet words out, but it was really the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so th this was – but in Ukraine, they had the same process was going on. Only in Ukraine was not Russia. It didn't have the 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 uh, the SBU, which is the Ukrainian KGB, was split between people who were loyal to Moscow and people who really weren't. And this was – this is true throughout many institutions. You had the Russians um, – there was um, 
a uh, a Russian Boris. Um, Bear, Bear, uh, I, uh, Beresov. What's it? Is it Beresov? No, no. Uh, he, he's a uh, he's a Ukrainian guy who worked in Ukrainian television. Um, and I'm um, anyway. I interviewed him. He did a study. He wrote a study on the elite of Ukraine, and he found out that 51 percent of the elite in Ukraine, and this is the, the the bankers, you know, the the financial elite, the parliament, the security services, the military, half of them had gone to KGB schools been educated in the Soviet Union in in KGB academies and schools and uh, he'd, he'd done this study and it was really quite stunning showing that the KGB structures as part of the sword and shield of the Communist Party and that uh, other Ukrainians were telling me uh, Boris Chikole was his name uh, he he left Ukraine he lives in uh, last I heard he lives in Germany but Boris um, it was a very interesting study and the other ukrainians had said to me you know it, it it isn't really the kgb though the kgb is is the front man for it but it's the communist party soviet union underground that still runs the former soviet countries except for the baltic states and maybe georgia georgia's a funny case and then so in ukraine so they were still controlling ukraine and by the way the statues you know supposedly communism had fallen in in Ukraine in, in late 91, like it did in Russia, but all the statues of Lenin were in all the towns. Hmm. They had torn them down. They hadn't taken down the Soviet symbols even. But what happened in 2014 is they they tore down hundreds and hundreds of statues of Lenin, got pulled down. You can even go on YouTube and you could see, you know, kids coming out and hooking up, uh, you know, cables to the bumper of a of a pickup truck, mm-hmm. wrapping it around Lenin's statue and pulling them down. I watched numerous of these. And, sorry, sorry, I had a brain fart. And and when was yeah. this? What twenty fourteen? Twenty fourteen. Okay. All right. When the, when they had the Euromaidan revolution and gotcha. it continued, they were pulling down. I, I remember I watched a video. They were pulling down a statue of Lenin in, in April of 2014 after my, the Euromaidan revolution. My, they were just going around and pulling them all down, my, and the cops would just stand there and watch them do it. I I remember some of that. So my my deceased older brother who took his life in April 2014. I remember he had. I was at home because I had just finished college. I had just finished college in December 2013, and I had moved home to my parents' house. Um, and he had moved home too. And so for the first time since high school, there was just kind of this fluke where we were both at home again. It was like a shitty sitcom, right? He was 27, Mm -hmm. I was 23 and I was going to go to medical school that fall. Point is, is so it was just he and I hanging out. And I remember he and I would actually, it was on a website called the U stream, U, the letter U stream. That's where Rogan used to be on. And, uh, we were watching the revolution. We would stay up. We, we, we were completely over. It's honestly like some of my fondest memories with my brother is he and I like fucking like heating up chicken fingers at like one in the morning and being like we'd we'd watch. And it's I mean, it's terrible because there's death and destruction, but we'd be watching it. And like that, that like one town square that like all the famous photos. Maidan in Kiev. Yeah. yeah the, the Maidan. With like the yeah. thing in the center. And we would watch it and we'd pick guys out and we'd be like, he, oh, there's the guy again with the orange hat. Like he's still alive. And like we'd cheer, we'd cheer people on. But yeah, I remember watching that, and I kind of, in hindsight, I I don't think I understood how historic it. We thought it was just sort of like, I don't know, like what, almost like watching Russian webcams, and I don't think even we realized what was happening at the time. It it was the biggest, most significant revolution of the 21st century so yeah. far. Yeah, and it, it's comparable to the French and the American revolutions, in the sense that they were they they transformed the French Revolution transformed Europe. 
and the American Revolution was transformative too. Uh, and and really, the uh, Euromaidan Revolution is closer to the American Revolution in how it started and how it worked because it was, you know, you're uh, uh, there in New England, you know, when when General Gage went to go take the guns from the from the people of Massachusetts and the militias turned out and they just opened fire, started open fire on the British and chased them back to Boston. That was amazing. You yeah. know, nobody saw that one coming and the Continental Congress meeting and then, you know, picking George Washington to be in charge of this Continental Army. So it was a war. It was the actual war in Ukraine. It, it's it. it and he, there's a sea change. These people look, the American people, George Washington considers himself a British American. Yeah. These people thought of themselves as British. They fought, you know, Washington fought in the French and Indian War against the French for the British. And right? then got was French a, assistance to fight the British. <clears throat> well, and that the American came Revolution. later. Yeah, the American Revolution that came later. And uh, but but you know nobody would think of calling um, uh, the American Revolution a proxy war, where where we Americans were just proxies for France. Sure. Because it wasn't true. There was a real thing happening. A there. real thing, but this augmented is, by augmented by France. And the French, well, the French didn't even get involved until after we showed that we could win, which yeah. is the same thing in Ukraine, by the way. A month after the Russian invasion, the White House didn't want to send any help to Ukraine. Yeah. A they, month after. Yeah, they were walking it in slowly. I know a guy that was in the White House. He was working with Congress. He was trying to get, you know, whip up. We had to send help to him. And the, so the Ukrainians were getting nothing from us. And it was a whole month. But it was when the Ukrainians were able to win on their own. Just like the Battle of Saratoga for us, when we showed the world that we could beat the British army well, at Saratoga. It's any sound investment. Right. right? Well, it's yeah, you don't reinforce defeat. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, yeah, it's like, wow, these people are really fighting. They're really doing it. Uh, maybe it's in our interest to help them. Yeah. And, of course, it, it, the help ended up being extremely important for us and for the Ukrainians. Um, so, you know, and, and so to, to describe this revolution, it's it's very important for people to understand this because they're so, you know, uh, people tread out that um, uh, that tape recording between the two, uh, oh. Victoria Newland yeah. and uh, what's his name? Uh, I can never think of his name, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. No, I know who you're talking and, about, yeah. And they were, you know, I've listened to the recording over and over again. There's no coup plotting in the recording. It's two diplomats being asked by Ukrainians, what do we do to form a new government? Uh, who do we have? You have any advice for us? And they were thinking of the advice to give them. And like part of the discussion was, well, Klitschko, the boxer, you know, he has no experience. Don't don't make him, you know, he can be mayor of, of Kiev, but don't make him anything important. So they were just politicians. You know, these people were just U.S. diplomats being asked for advice. Um, there was no coup. What happened in Ukraine was this this party of regions and Communist Party and the whole apparatus that was holding down the Ukrainian people that were had acted so badly and it had finally the Ukrainian people stood up against it. They uh, when they killed the heavens hundred, you know, they hundred people shot down, killed in, in Maidan Square, and all the oppression, the, the country was not going to accept this behavior from their government anymore. And so you got millions of people. So Yanukovych basically just his, you know, he his safety could not be guaranteed by other local rulers. There was going to be a conference. The, I understand. I think the governor who was in charge of it said, well, "I can't guarantee your safety." I think his bodyguards couldn't guarantee his safety. 
uh, you know, he'd, he'd murdered his own citizens and in a way that was visibly not justifiable. And so he fled and the prime minister fled and governors fled and SBU officials fled. People fled at all levels. All of these shills that work for Moscow holding down Ukraine, they fled to Russia. And so the Ukrainian people woke up and said, where's the president? Where's the prime minister? Where are all these officials? The they didn't have a government. Yeah. Right. They fled. So the thing is, is they it wasn't a coup because in a coup, you take over they the move. government, you put guns on them and you arrest them and whatever. They were never arrested. They were never forced out. They fled of their own accord. They advocated. This was, this was more like squatters rights. Well, it's like the country doesn't have a government. That's why it's closer to squatters rights than it is a coup. Yeah. Well, it, it's you. You have you. You had a constitution. You, Ukraine had a constitution. It's like under the constitution, what do you do if the president abandons the country? You have to appoint an interim <laughs> yeah. president and call elections, which yeah. is what they did. Yeah. Right. So there wasn't a revolution. There was a president who just abandoned his office. Gotcha. So they and and so, but that's totally constantly misrepresented by people like Douglas McGregor and Tucker Carlson and this this uh, people like. Uh, well, I I I think that I've even heard Steve Bannon maybe misrepresented um, because they hate the Democrats and the left so badly. They want to claim that somehow they did well, it. Well, it's just as bad as it's 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 no different than Trump derangement syndrome. Anything orange man does is bad. R it's, right. it's an and inability then, to rec to give credit where credit's due. And to, anything orange man does is good is also deranged. Which is also right? yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. yeah Trump, it's also yeah, deranged. It's yeah. And if Biden because, does it, it's good. If Trump does it, it's bad. Yeah, vice I mean, versa. No, it's we're human beings and it's not everything I do is good. It's not if I tell no. you everything I do is good, you know I'm lying. Yeah, no, it's we're, we're we're tribal you know? we're tribal cattle pigs. That's what we are. Yeah. So um so this was this was the deal and they had to and so there's been some very very good books written on this and and good journalism done about this, but people don't seem to they, they want to stick to these narratives that they're given uh, by well, by people. There's nothing sexy. I'm sorry, I know I keep interrupting you. I'm getting I'm getting excited. Um, yeah. And by the way, if you can hear all the traffic, it's I have all the windows open because it's beautiful. No, no, no traffic. Um, all right, noise. good. No. Um, uh, bu 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 Yeah. No. Well, no one wants to. No one wants the less sexy, more difficult answer, right? You want to diet. The first thing you do is number one diet pill versus the unhappy answers like go to the gym and eat less. But I'm hungry. Well, that means you're burning fat. It's because it's not fun. No one wants to hear it. It's what it is. So if you're hungry, either that or you're 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 eating food with high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Eat yeah. something. Yeah, eat eat vegetables. Eat something with a high or low glycemic index. Whatever. The point is, is the the answer, the the strong answer is often it's not a secret. I, I'm I'm friends with a couple like Delta Force operators, and I remember I got to go shooting with them once, and they told me they're like everyone in like the quote unquote lower tiers always asks them because they're like the Olympians of, of special forces. What are the secrets? They go, there's no secret. We use the same gun you use. You master the basics and then you increase the rate at which you're able to execute the basics. So what appears to be a secret is actually just someone who's tied their Training, shoes 10 million times. Drilling. So yeah, they're just drilling at it. it they're it, just yeah, better drilled at yeah, it. Yeah, no, and they're, they're the ones that will tell you they don't take days off because their skills degrade at 3% a day. Well, you got to be pretty good to know that. Point is, is there's nothing sexy. I mean, I love it because I'm a nerd and you love it because you're a nerd. And I say that as a compliment. There's nothing sexy about reading 50 books about the history of the CIA by liberal and conservative authors, by Americans and foreigns, 
to look at everything and get the most accurate picture you can of Go. They've done some good shit. They've done some bad shit. They're pretty. They're more competent than not, but they're not. They're not perfect. And that's how you get the most accurate picture of like the CIA or whatever topic. You, I'm listening to Tim Wiener's uh, Legacy of Ashes. Um, that's a that's a very important book. Yeah, I read it when I was 18 because yeah. I was grounded because yeah. I got caught with alcohol and so I had nothing else to do. But like, that's not a fun answer, right? You want to be able to say no. why does this make Biden bad? Why does this make Trump impeachable? It, instead of going back and looking at like, all right, it's a very rich history that started 80 years ago and things have been in motion and. That's not well, a fun you, answer. What you, you, want the, the, you want the you soundbite. Intelligence is a very complicated thing. We did not, before World War II, the United States, except for you know military intelligence, we didn't have an CIA. We didn't have the, an intelligence agency. We vault. created the OSS you know, for the purpose of, of, of dealing with World War II issues. Uh, then the CIA was created afterwards. But we, we don't culturally... America is not a police state. It's not a country that deals with intelligence and counterintelligence issues well. And Americans can't keep their traps shut. <laughs> they don't have discretion. They can't keep secrets. This is very well known. And um, and they now you teach them these corrupting uh, doctrines, you know, psychological warfare and all these things, these new fangled disciplines, strategy disciplines that came out that if you were steeped in traditional military writings or the, the the code of Washington or Wellington, the moral code of war, you would go, I know that's not a good thing to be teaching your soldiers. Yeah. It's not a good thing to predicate agencies on deception and all these things. These are more appropriate to countries with sinister national histories like China and Russia, led by despots for centuries and suppressing anybody who disagrees with the regime in sometimes very brutal, but also very deceptive and cunning ways. Yeah. I think it was Dulles that said, uh, yeah, Americans don't like the idea that in order to fight an, an, a communist, this, and he said this in the 50s, in order, to fight a, in, in order to fight an enemy that is hell-bent on world domination, a godless enemy uh, hell-bent on world domination that has nothing off the table... We ourselves need to create an amoral agency willing to do anything, and Americans can't sit well with that idea. Well, Andulus was an amoral, yeah, god godless <laughs> yeah. person himself. He's fucking crazy. Yeah, he was. He was. He was bad. So, and the thing is, is that that so you you can't. And the thing is, is if you're going to have your godless people <coughs> fighting the godless people over there you're going to find out that your godless people are working under the table with their godless people and yeah. are being corrupted by them because they're much better at the godless people game. Yeah. They're yeah. just better at it. If, yeah. you're, if you're a communist subversive, you're just better at sniffing that out. And yeah. you've got the Russian – look, um, one Russian, Andrei Navrazov, um, I interviewed him years ago. He he was very – he was saying, look, it's – it's not conspiracy theory. It's it's uh, the way the KGB works and the way the Russian Russia works. It's not a conspiracy. It's their culture. It's their national culture, a culture of deception, deceiving foreigners and of playing these intelligence games because it goes back to Ivan the Terrible and probably long before him, you know, when he created his own little gang of, of sinister operatives to suppress his opposition and control people. Um, and, and that game, you know, is really ancient in China. You know that the earliest I, – I read this book a few years ago on Chinese 
uh, intelligence. And I was shocked to find that the earliest record of a fake defector, someone pretending to defect from one uh -huh. polity and going over to another and then tricking Double them, agent. is ancient China in uh, 1900 BC. If you can believe that. that is a long Holy history God. of treachery. And in China, the most famous heroes in China aren't their great generals, aren't Alexander the Great Caesar or something. They're these guys, these defectors, who go and work for some king of whatever and and end up um, you know, wrapping them around their finger and bringing well, them down well, for their for the king they're really working for, well, right? In the same way I mean that is just objectively, you know, remove ethics and morals in terms of praising a figure. And Alexander the Great Genghis Khan, you're praising someone who got the job done and their ability to do it, right? I mean, yeah. Hitler got the job done, a demon from hell, but he did rise to power and start World War, right? So I mean, mm -hmm. if you're yeah, if you're a if you're a fake defector and you're able to do it without firing a shot, yeah, I mean, in terms of praising someone for getting the, you can love an NFL player because they have the most rushing yards. They might beat their wives and might be a horrible person, but if you like the football game, you're going to go objectively, he's the best. That makes right. sense. I mean, someone that can wrap a king around their finger and not not fire a shot, you have to add, again, doesn't mean you're morally or ethically for it. But I Well, mean, their their culture views it that way. Um and, and of course Machiavelli got a bad name for saying that, you know, if you tell the truth in politics, you'll be destroyed. So you need to lie by, you know, in order to survive in politics. You need to lie because the other people are lying to you. Um that received a rebuke of all people from um, uh, from uh, kings and uh, bishops and uh, politicians all over Europe. Machiavelli's name was was uh, you know the same as for the devil, the same as the devil. He was he was sort of uh, old Nick. He it was uh, he was advising people to be treacherous. Even modern. Uh, writers have denounced him for what he was writing. Uh, it old, was a teaching of evil, who's, right? Who's old Nick? Well, he was uh, Nikolai. You know, old Nick is the nickname for the devil, but oh. uh, Machiavelli's name was Nicolo, so oh, he was Nick. Gotcha. So, so he even had the devil's nickname, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but um, Frederick the Great wrote a whole book denouncing Machiavelli. Hmm. And it's really brilliant because Frederick the Great was brilliant. And so there's a moral that the West is more moral, has a this moral part of it that the East doesn't have. You don't have the uh, the the combining of the idea of rulership and aristocracy and kingship in. Uh, you have Confucius in China who does some of that. But Confucius, but you have this other school, the legalist school, uh, Han Feitzu, who mocks uh, uh, Confucius. And so you have this other uh, legacy underneath the surface. So you have these two things in China where when the Han dynasty was established, they said, we have to get rid of Han Feitzu. We have to get rid of uh, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu also advised treachery and deception. I mean, he was very Machiavellian. He was, he was like a Machiavellian steroid, Sun Tzu. All warfare is based on deception. Yeah. You don't see that in the West. Warfare is based on honor and chivalry, right? And you have to wonder, well, which one's the more, which one is more, 
which one's going to survive natural selection more, right? You can Well, the West because we saw what happened when the West went up against China, China crumbled. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I I'm, mean, but there is China succumbed. Yeah, there is. And the only reason China even appears to have a chance is because the West has succumbed to some of these these uh, this moral these these immoral doctrines. Uh, so that the West has been weakened by it. But the, the traditions of the West, Western society, um, it, it is Julius Caesar was an evil figure. Alexander the Great had a sinister side and they ended badly. Uh, probably, you know, if, if Plutarch speculates that that there's a letter from Alexander the Great's mother that that uh, the great philosopher Aristotle poisoned Alexander the Great. There is something kind of poetic about, and, and because Alexander the Great murdered his nephew, uh, Aristotle's nephew, um, the, and of course we know what happened to Julius Caesar. He was murdered in the Senate. He was hacked to death with daggers. There's something poetic about if you adopt the immoral, unethical, dishonorable method. It is a, in the short term, it's a gain. You can yes, you can win. But in the long term, it poisons the actual system it itself. Po- yes, it does. In fact, now this is the we don't have all of Tacitus's works, but if you read Tacitus, the Annals of Imperial Rome, especially, where he goes through the reigns of the Caesars, you know, Augustus, Tiberius, uh, Caligula, uh, Claudius, and then Nero, this is a slide into insanity, where they all are murdering and poisoning each other. Until the last one of the Julio-Claudian line, who is Nero, kills himself when his bodyguard is coming after him. The final. When an artist dies in me and he stabs himself. So so basically they killed themselves. They just – it was total destruction. The the whole – they were just – they were just killed off. And they did it to the the last one killed himself. They just murdered themselves. If I wanted to get this podcast – because I'm always watching subscriber numbers and downloads, and they grow at a healthy rate, but I'm greedy and want it to be faster. I could absolutely, like, I'm, I've, I haven't gone total war with this podcast. Like, there is a nuclear option, and the nuclear option, um, it would be getting guests on, doing ambush journalism. It would be having someone on after this and talking shit about Jeff Nyquist. It would be yeah, stabbing other guests in the back. And for a brief moment, it would get a lot of views, right? I could really do some embarrassing things about who, even if it's not true, right? Issue a retraction quietly later. You know, I would never talk to Dr. McCullough again. Dr. Malone would never respond to me again. You would never respond to me again. But for a brief moment, I could jack the views up. But then it's dead. I've salted the earth. And no one yeah. will come on Tommy's podcast again because he's a backstabber. It's kind of the same thing as... You can adopt these methods; it will kill you in the end. Well, and there's there's something else uh, about this morality. There's a it's of a piece. When you behave in a really rotten way towards other people, it sets things in motion we don't even understand. You know, people talk about quantum entanglement. They talk about you know their spiritual consequences. Mm-hmm. There's things you set in motion that you don't understand because there is a God and the universe is created and we're creatures. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it sets is lawful. things in motion. Yeah, and it's there's it's self-destructive. It's not the way things are supposed to be. You know, it it is not make for a happy situation, and so you end up becoming this cramped, paranoid you know, almost stupid kind of being 
that cannot you because you're so busy deceiving other people you also end up deceiving yourself so you don't even see the world anymore you don't even see reality anymore well you don't you're, you're believing your you're believing your own poison well it's the you know, you're it's eating the, your own poison it's the paranoia yeah. of every dictator of they no longer trust their own guards their own family their own yeah. and the so therefore the only people that will approach them are yes men who only tell you what you want to hear and and it's, this is what we see in China and Russia. It's also hit, right Hitler giving orders up until the last day. Well, and Hitler, look at what, what did Hitler do? He ended up, you know, alienating his generals. Yeah. Turning his subordinates against him and then calling them traitors. I mean, what did he do? He ordered the arrest of Goering yeah. at the end of the war. He ordered the arrest of Himmler at the end of the war. His immediate lieutenants, he turned on them and had them, we're going to have them all arrested. I think, right? was it, it might have been Albert Speer, it might have been someone else who was getting ready to defect, and they, they went in and talked to him in the bunker, and uh, I think it was in A.E. Jacobson's Operation Paperclip. He goes in, and, you know, Hitler's like, so you're leaving? And he's pretty much like, yeah. And he goes, uh, well, according to Speer, Speer actually was honest with Hitler and said, I didn't follow your destruction order. Oh, it was and one. And Hitler just ignored it. Uh, it was one of the know. top guys talked to him in the bunker. Yeah, basically. It, was, it was Speer. Okay. Yeah, I, I know the story. Yeah. And, but, but the, the takeaway is, is, uh, he goes up to him and he goes like, you know, like mind fear, basically like, I love you. And, and like, until fate brings us together again in the afterlife or whatever. And Speer and, uh, Hitler just goes bye. Doesn't even say like Alf Peterson. It just says like bye, and Spear, if this is who I'm talking about, later says like a lifetime of dedication to this guy, and he doesn't even look at me. He just goes bye, and you're like wow, and that's what it is. Is the demon completely takes over the the being? Yeah, there there's a severe narcissism in a lot of these leaders, and so you know, get, getting back to this Ukraine, the Ukraine. Oh war, yeah. I forgot we were talking about Ukraine. Uh, we, we want to steer it back to the Ukraine war. Uh, you have this, uh, dysfunctional evil system in Russia, which is really a, it's a continuation state of the Soviet union. It's the same basic staff at the very top that are managing it. The, the Soloviki They're they're basically, it's the KGB. It's the old party apparatus hidden behind it all. The, the presidential administration is really just a, just a, uh, a mechanism of the old uh, Communist Party Central Committee. Uh, and and the, the party money is still there. The Communist Party is still there behind the scenes. They hide what they do. And, of course, the army, you, you have the army, the party, and the KGB was the Iron Triangle. And you really have this there. And, and Putin was the guy that ended up at first being a figurehead and becoming indispensable because he his personality was able to stabilize the regime uh, and to and to uh, allow the justification that the development of this this uh, new kind of hybrid ideology, which they had to bring in because they didn't have uh, they couldn't bring Marxism, Leninism back. The, the Russian people wouldn't accept it. Uh, so they had to create that. So, but they were still holding the Soviet Union together, in the expectation of when the time was right, when the West was starting to crumble, they would put the Humpty Dumpty of the Soviet system back together again. And and Putin, you look at Putin's whole reign is a is a series of steps moving back to the USSR, little by little. You know, reintroducing things that existed under the Soviet Union, little by little. Even reintroducing symbols of the Soviet Union. Um, 
and you know actually flirting with stalinist kind of themes and ideas you know flirting with the idea of renaming uh stalingrad which is now volgograd renaming it stalingrad can we get away with that should we do that um so it 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 the, the system it's an attempt to grope their way back to what they believe they had. I mean, Putin has said that the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy mm-hmm. of the 20th century. Um, and, and he really meant it. And so you have to listen to what these dictators say because they're really giving you everything away. When when he says he's a Christian and then he says, well, it's really, you know, Marxism is right out of the Bible and I never threw away my party card and I, I like Leninist, Marxist-Leninist ideas. You know, when he says that, Listen. He is lying to you, but he's telling you the truth. Yeah, you have to understand that Marxist-Leninists cannot be a Christian. Yeah, <laughs> you can't like those ideas and and be a believer well, in Jesus be a, Christ. There you can't can. be a higher order than the state. Well, it's 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 Marxist theory is is more complicated than that, of course. But but so so this is what the war in Ukraine was about: holding the the old Soviet system back together again and 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 bringing it back. And that derailed that, the Ukrainian people standing up and wanting to have their country for themselves. And what one Ukrainian told me was, you know, speaking as a person, you know, part of the intelligence system, uh, he said, we had a choice. We could go with Moscow and Moscow was expecting us to go with them or we could go with the Ukrainian people. And what happened is a large enough number went with the Ukrainian people to support them that the revolution worked. And they re, they have been reforming their system. It's a difficult thing to change from essentially Soviet institutions, uh, but the the Russia couldn't leave it leave them alone and let them do that. So the idea was they annexed Crimea in 2014, and that was spontaneous and it was, it was pretty artfully done. And and I guess Sergei Shoigu, the defense minister, uh, gets a lot of the credit because he was kind of put in charge of it. The little green men and. And then they created the fake, uh, you know, they, they murdered four um, uh, Crimean activists who were opposed to, wanted to oppose the referendum, right, to oppose uh, Crimea becoming uh, you know, part of Russia. And they were mur- tortured and murdered. That was covered up. And then they just brought in people to make it look like there was this groundswell who wanted Crimea to be Russian. And in Donbass, they did something similar, only it didn't go so well. Because the Ukrainian government said, who are these people, you know, starting this revolution in, in Donbass? And so they went in and they, they, lo and behold, they discovered in some of the uh, skirmishing, uh, the, in the dead bodies, these were Russians. They weren't Ukrainians. They weren't Donbass people. And they discovered that the Russians, of course, had always used this divide-and-conquer game in Ukraine where they would pit the Russian-speaking Ukrainians against the Ukrainian-speaking Ukrainians, the, the West against the East and the South. And there was, there was that tension, and they just fed, the Russians just fed on it in, their, in, in dividing. But that started to break down when this war started in eastern Ukraine. And a lot of the people that went to fight uh, the Russians attempt to create this breakaway, these two breakaway republics in eastern Ukraine. They were Russian speaking Ukrainians, like the people in the Azov battalion. They were Russian speaking Ukrainians. And by the way, if they want to say that Nazis were in the Azov battalion, which was financed by a Jewish oligarch, by the way, and yeah. it wasn't required that you have, yeah. Wow. Uh, I didn't Kolomoisky. know that. 
Kolomoisky, uh, he basically financed the Azov Battalion, ultimately regiment, and financed, um, I think it was, what was it called? Dnieper 1 was the other uh, That's hilarious. Uh, battalion. Uh, but but he, he's a guy who built a lot of synagogues. Look, the Azov Battalion isn't, they have a couple guys, the guys that formed it were influenced by some of these Nazi ideas, but it wasn't, most of the people didn't join it for that reason. Have it you, wasn't an, It wasn't a political party. It wasn't have, a... There's a meme that's... Yeah, yeah, pointing fingers, going the fucking Nazis here and there. There's a funny meme about I don't know somebody who thinks Elon Musk is the new orange man, and it goes, uh, "I'm no longer. I sold my Tesla. I'm no longer supporting. Uh, I'm no longer supporting SpaceX. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't support space agencies that hire Nazis. I'm going full NASA." <laughs> mm. Well, well. The you idea, know, the I mean, look, hilariousness the thing, that not NASA yeah, was I mean, mostly you, Nazi. You, the, the, the Russian propaganda is that Ukraine is a Nazi country, yeah. but their president is Jewish. I mean, it, yeah, it, no, it, yeah, no, no, no. The, the contradictions flow freely. You're thinking yeah, too they, deep, they, Jeff. You're, yeah, you're thinking too yeah. deeply. No, no, but I'm just showing that that the people who embrace that don't think at all. Oh yeah, totally. No, it's, 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 it's nothing. Matters. And uh, and here's an interesting one: the Wagner Group. Yeah. Wagner was a Russian <laughs> commando guy who loved the Third Reich so much he got that nickname <laughs> Wagner, right? And he's got like Nazi, I understand he's got like Nazi tattoos and everything. So it it, it isn't, this is just a problem. Post-truth just, reality. Narratives that are just, that are Nothing meant matters. for simple people. Yeah. Nothing matters. Um, but the, the, the real war, so the war in Donbass started in 2014. And of course, uh, here you had these volunteers going in. The Ukrainian army was by no means ready. And they were just forming a new government. So they were, you know, it was, they weren't, they mainly the reason that, by the way, the main reason that the Crimea operation succeeded was Ukraine didn't have a government, couldn't respond. But when they got to doing it in Donbass, there was a Ukrainian government and they did respond. And that's partly why the war ignited there and not in Crimea. Gotcha. Um, and and so that war raged for eight years, and it was a, and it was expected the Russians really expected to break down the Ukrainian government, to hurt the Ukrainian economy, and to sap their strength as a country, to kind of force them back under their their shills again to to dominate it, and it backfired. It had the opposite effect. That the longer the war went on, the more the country was united, the more that um, it went on, the more Ukrainians saw Russia as a problem and, and not as their Slavic brothers, and that the they, they basically destroyed whatever love and brotherhood the Ukrainians felt. And so when, when and it's interesting, when Zelensky gets elected president, then in 2019, uh, Zelensky is a native Russian-speaking Ukrainian. He didn't. He didn't grow up speaking Ukrainian as his first language, hmm. and he was a, a famous actor not only on the film and screen for Ukrainians because his first films and in, in television were all in the Russian language for Russians. He was famous in Russia because he was a film star in the Russian language, and, then- and so, and so he becomes a president, and he gets elected overwhelmingly. He won seventy three percent of the vote. Jeez. And he won both in the Ukrainian uh, West, the Ukrainian-speaking West, and the Russian-speaking South and East. And and of course, he was a comedian, and he knew how to communicate. He was a good communicator. He was inexperienced at government and had a great deal of trouble because 
fighting the corruption and, and, and everything. It, it is a ter terrible, a difficult And thing. then just a hundred thousand foot view again of the contradictions flowing freely is, and I'm conservative, but the idea that conservatives are going to attack Zelensky because he was in show business. He's not a, he's not a politician. Reagan and Trump, two conservative yes. gods right. are yes. for the very same reasons, not they're and, outsiders who came in. And if they didn't do well, it's because they were fighting corruption. And Zelensky was get this. This is a man. If you read read Zelensky's inaugural address when he became president, he quotes Ronald Reagan <laughs> as his model, as an actor who became a president of a country he admires. He quotes Ronald Reagan. So here is Zelensky. He's quoting Ronald Reagan, and because you know how many times did we see, um, um, you know, uh, different comedians, Bob Hope or whoever, dressed in drag, yeah. dressed as women. So Zelensky dresses as a woman or does something gay that's 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 goofy. He's suddenly gay, although he's. But there's a video. There's a video of kids. Giuliani dressed as a woman hanging out with Trump. Yeah, there but you go. But that know. was just I a, mean, that was like, just a gaffe. But this is really a, Zelensky. It's a gag, but a comedian does it. He's a comedian. And, uh, it's, it's a it's, joke. It's so a, a freaking joke. So a, so a show business comedian goes into politics, and uh, we're supposed to hate him because he's not a politician, unlike Reagan and Trump, and he is fighting corruption, unlike Trump, who's fighting the deep state, but Zelensky's fighting corruption, and then that's bad, and then he's a Nazi, but he's Jewish, and Wagner right. are the good guys, but they're German, and fuck communists, and fuck socialism, <laughs> but all of a sudden we're on the side of Russia, who are a bunch of Allied communists. Allied with China and getting in North Korea and Venezuela and There Cuba. is no reality. We just simply are moving the pieces around on a board and we're going, this is now, this is now this part of the, it's just a, it's a square and we're just dividing it up and saying, this is now blue and that's red. And in eight well, months, see, it'll change again. Yeah. Well, you can't use the C word. You can't say something's communist. Uh, that is the success that shows you who's succeeding here and who's really involved. The fact that China, look, um, Russia, the Russia gave, uh, Cuba, I think it's 25, what is it, 25 million metric tons of wheat or something like that. I mean, so the, 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 the Cuban communist government gives official thanks to Vladimir Putin and the Russian government for this. And it's the second year in a row that they've sent enormous quantities of grain to Cuba. Why? <laughs> Why are the Russians building military infrastructure for the Nicaraguan communist Daniel Ortega? Why does Nicolas Maduro, in a speech in January, say that we need to form a new block, like a communist block of countries? He's a Maduro's a Marxist-Leninist in in Latin America, and to and and then he refers to our elder brothers. Uh, our our elder brothers will help guide us. Our elder brothers are Xi Jinping of China and Vladimir Putin of Russia. So there's a Latin American communist calling Xi Jinping and Putin his elder brothers, and they're aligned. And so, you know, it, it's the communist bloc. The Cold War didn't end. The Soviet Union didn't go away because we never we never drove a stake through the vampire's heart. Yeah. There didn't. was never, as Vladimir Bukowski pointed out, we there was never double, a we Nuremberg. The, we never yeah, tapped the head. Yeah, there was never a Nuremberg trial where communism went on trial and we didn't drag the communists out and say, you did all these bad things. You know, we had denazification in Germany, which was not a, as as a, it didn't completely work but we didn't they didn't even try any illustration yeah. in Russia 
the same old, same old people. And, you know, I've even heard Russians say, I'm so stupid. These old Soviet apparatchiks from the Polar Bureau are in the Senate. They're in the Russian, you know, they're in the Duma. They're in the, um, uh, the, um, the state council. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. And, and by the way, the, uh, when they were independent, Donetsk, Donetsk and Luhansk, those breakaway republics were openly communist. They were if, openly communist people's republic type governments. I, so. and I have to like catch myself with my own, with my own contradictions where I'm like, if you just, if you just snap Reagan's here and you go, where you are funding Ukraine to fight Russia and there's corruption. He would go, yeah, there's probably corruption, but anything to fucking bleed communism dry. And I'm just right. thinking like, no, 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 but it's bad because Biden's doing it. He'd be like, it doesn't matter who's doing it. Take down the well, evil see, empire. Biden doesn't want to do it, and he wants the <laughs> conservatives to be the ones to tell him to turn it off, and then he wills, you see. Because Biden didn't step up. He, you know, Biden had to be pushed yeah. into doing this, into supporting Ukraine. And it was it was countries like Great Britain and Poland. You know, the reason that the HIMARS got sent uh, to to the U.S. government said no, we're not sending you those artillery, those rocket artillery things. Yeah, it was Poland and Britain that threatened to out Biden's unwillingness to help Ukraine. So Biden was basically politically blackmailed into doing what he's done. And and by the way, my understanding is not a single Abrams tank has yet reached Ukraine. Fourteen months into the war, and we haven't sent any heavy weapons like tanks or fighter jets. To the Ukrainians. So, what kind of support is this? What What was it? Somebody said that we lost eighty five billion dollars worth of equipment in, in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. But as of December of last year, we'd only sent twenty three billion to to uh, in in terms of weapons to uh, Ukraine. So we have not even sent as much weapons in Ukraine as we sent into little tiny Afghanistan in that conflict. We we and this is a full blown war. The full biggest kinetic war. Yeah. Kinetic war, the biggest war in Europe since World War II, uh, and and so that that's a very important thing too. Um, yeah, and then but, it's it's and this is this is me ridiculing myself. Biden's a communist plant. What is he doing? He's giving into the military-industrial complex to fight Russia at all costs. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, see, when you when you are engaged in the scissor strategy, which the Russians and the Chinese are, when you are uh, see, part of the strategy is you just like in Ukraine, you had the Ukrainian speakers and the Russian speakers, and you use that as a basis to divide the country and use a divide and conquer strategy. Uh, in America, we have the left and right. So what you do is you infiltrate both the left and right. This is what Russia has been doing and China, too. They infiltrate both sides. And then you, you pour money into the right and the left. And you could through George Soros on the one side, and I'm not going to name the name on the left, on the right side, because uh, uh, he sues everybody who mentions him. Rupert Murdoch. No, no, he's he's a foreigner. Well, you're not going to confirm it anyway because right. of that. So if I say he's it, a foreigner who pours money into the American so, right, uh, Soros he's a is on the left. Who's on the right? And and Soros, Soros is a foreigner too. He's not a, a really an American. Yeah, yeah, he but he's, he's on the left. But it's uh, it's let me put it. There's an individual from a communist country, on the on that's financing the right in America. And there's an individual from a communist country that originally you know, came from a communist country to us that's financing the left. Jack, Jack and I, Ma? And I, 
I know you're not going to confirm it because you said it's no, everybody. No, 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 it's not him. But uh, I mean, I'm not going to confirm it. But look, you can you right, can well, you do gotta, your homework and right, figure well, it out. Just text, just but, text it to but, me. I won't but, say it. Just see, text it to me. You have you you have. You want me to text it to text you? Text it to me. I'm because I'm. I have to go use the bathroom anyway. So Jeff, you're gonna you're because we're live. We can't. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll I'll write it here. No, 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 uh, no, no, don't, 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 no, don't. Think about it. No. You can think about it. Uh, what I was gonna say is uh. Okay. Well, this, Does this... that name spring a bell for you? Yeah, but it's gonna pop up because the screen's live streamed. So there goes. How do you it. delete it? You tricked me. No, I didn't. I, that's why I said. That's why I told you. We're, 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 I exited out. Maybe nobody saw it. Well, you have. Well, you have a person from well, I never a heard communist of that country anyway. financing the right, and you have a person from a communist country, George Soros. Listen, if he sues me, if he sues yeah. me, that's a good problem to have because that means the podcast is big enough that it's getting to him. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, look, this is just something to point out: is that that I believe that there's this game, the scissor yeah. strategy, where they want to have an effect on both sides. Now, that's a theory I have. Yeah. And it's, it's I, I can argue for it. It's a reasonable theory to have. Um, and and uh, I think it's, I think it is reasonable. Yeah. Um, so if they want to make me famous by suing me, fine. But, but it, it is a, it, it, it is something that, um, you know, you, I don't think that our, we should be taking money or advice from people from those countries mm. actively to control both sides uh each side of our of, well, of, of our thing that kind of and that ties back into what we were saying earlier about the moral and ethical thing well how would you stop money coming into a free society you'd have to clamp down and thus you are no longer the democracy you're trying to protect so that's it's part of like the double-edged sword is like we are a free society where cash can float in and out China, you're not allowed to take the cash out. We are in a place where there can be. It's it's the it's the you know. Freedom. See, you don't. I mean, we don't know who you know. If you if you say well, George sure. Soros is financing the left and uh, Mr. Guy. Guo is financing yeah. the right, uh, you don't know for sure what's this is what's going on. But it's it's look the right has all these. There's this toxic narrative that's that's emerged on the right and there's this toxic narrative on the left and there there there's this divide and conquer game going on in the united states where the left and right are getting further apart from each other yeah and, the... and it's very i don't like the fact that foreign money is involved in in fueling these narratives yeah uh, in any way um and of course i agree with many of the things that people uh you know that that uh, buy into these narratives agree with but um i i violently disagree i mean some of the narratives that we're seeing on the right are are just anti-ukrainian and yeah. pro-russian frankly yeah but and I... that's that is like how can you be against a country that's been invaded naked aggression from oh. a country like russia how can you be against them it's Back to to play the devil's advocate to what you're saying is it's like it's a slippery slope, right? If we go we this money is coming in and we think that they are doing it for these reasons, how quickly does that become weaponized? Well, you can't take money over here because that's from this opposing country. But the reason you might be doing it is because this is a political. Maybe you don't like Elon Musk for buying Twitter, so all of a sudden his money from whatever South African mines is—it's a slippery slope. Do, of, I mean, yeah, of, it's just, and you know you can't. I don't have any proof that 
Well, sure. There's anything wrong with that, George? I don't have any proof that George Soros is working for the KGB or that Miles Guo is working for Chinese intelligence. Oh, sure. I have no proof, but it's just it's just should be common sense that we should not. I th- take anything at face value from them. Well, absolutely, I, but I especially think especially when it's dividing us, right? I I think I think we have to err on the side of like chaotic freedom in that this is right. one of the pitfalls of a free society is this can happen. Well, where's that money coming from? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm floating a fucking new hotel chain and they're that's kind of the wild west of the United States is for better or worse, we, we have unsafe freedom, but that's what it is, is it's, you know, and if you want to clamp down and go no more money from foreign nationals, well, how long until we say no money because it's supporting whatever the DNC and then all of a sudden, and then the economy is no longer the thriving American casino. And it's, I think you have to err. I agree with everything you're saying. It's not good, but there's not a one size fits all, so I think we have well, to err and, and on the side so of chaotic you have, freedom. So you have these you you have these narratives, which we, what we need to do as a country is we need to be united. And it's the miracle. See what happened in Ukraine is Ukrainians this division ended when they elected Zelensky, and that was when Putin understood and the Kremlin understood that you the war in Donbas wasn't working. Ukraine was not going back over to them. They were not. Their penetration of the government was weaker than they thought it was, and they needed to act before Ukraine got stronger and stronger, like Poland, mm-hmm. right? Where it so they needed to move on it, they needed to take it back, and so they developed this strategy, this decapitation strategy, which was they were going after Kiev, they wanted to decapitate the government and put in a puppet government and reestablish Russia's control. It's pretty simple that that's what they were doing, and of course. We know that they failed. The Russian military failed, and uh, the troops didn't weren't properly trained and informed. They failed to neutralize the Ukrainian air defenses. They failed to adequately supply the army because they thought it was only going to be a few days, and um, they were still following 1940s tactics. They screwed up in their trying to bring in troops in in, in behind Kiev at the airport there that they captured. And they um, they had too many tanks and not enough infantry covering the tanks, and they lost a ton of tanks, and they got repulsed. Um, and now Ukraine has been getting stronger. Um, I was gonna say, and like there is a cure for this, and it, but it's what we said earlier. It's not a sexy cure. It's you can have this sort of wild west that is the United States, so long as people read and keep themselves informed. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. It's because if you're having a discussion like we're having right now, you can go, Oh, I could take foreign money. Yeah. I know they're probably going to try to pit me against the left. Fuck you. Invest in my podcast. Like, but again, that's not, no one wants that. They want the Fox news soundbite. They want the CNN soundbite. They want the Reddit screen grab owning the left, owning the right. And because of that, that stuff does pose a threat. But, dude, I got to go to the bathroom really badly. Jeff, you're going to tell everybody where to find your book, what, okay. your website. In the yeah. description is Jeff's Twitter. Please go follow him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, jrnyquist.blog is my blog. Um, uh, that is jrnyquist.blog. Um, uh, you can also buy my books on Amazon. Uh, it, there is uh, the fool and his enemy is a good one to start with. Uh, I I do occasionally sell uh, copies of um, um, 
my book. Um, uh, which I only have. Sorry, I'm really tired. I didn't sleep that much last night. Um, uh, the Origins of the Fourth World War, which is a book that I basically uh, was figuring out a lot of these things back in the 80s. That was really basically written in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and published in the late 90s, uh, second edition. So I occasionally uh, will uh, sell some of those because they're really expensive if you buy a used copy on Amazon. Um, and of course, there's the um, The Lies We Believe In is a more recent book, which is taken from a number of essays I've written in the last uh, two years, over the last two years. So, um, um, so anyway, um, that's it. That's kind of the situation. So, um, but it, it's in talking about this whole issue of, um, of uh, narratives, ideological narratives and how narratives can be uh, and, you, and you don't ever really know if a person is advancing a narrative because they are actually um, insincere and doing it because they're a paid in, in, agent of influence or whether they're advancing a narrative because they sincerely believe it, that they've somehow been co-opted or, or uh, convinced of it in some way. Because um, I think most people that advance false narratives are genuinely convinced of them. Um, and so it's very difficult to tell uh, who is actually who is the bad actor at the bottom of it because we we all end up believing things that are not not true. We all end up believing things that that we shouldn't, and we maybe hopefully we find out before we embarrass ourselves uh, too much in in that regard. Um, but um, but you uh, uh, it's it's a difficult thing to um, try to get the lay of the land here when you have um, you have controversial figures from uh, different uh, con countries uh, who are not uh, Americans who are financing uh, major narratives on the left and the right and um, and of course you look at the narratives and you look at what they're advancing and, and, and what it is and then you you have to make an evaluation about does this narrative make sense and is this helping America or is it hurting America and then you have to decide this is the downside of being hydrated is you also have to use the restroom um, oh yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah your kidneys are working at least yeah. you know that that much I do know um, but I don't know we've kind of gone all over the place tying back to Ukraine how do we tie back to Ukraine well it's it's uh, getting back to this this general war. Look, um, one of the things the Russians and Chinese do that makes it very difficult is they send false defectors. And I mentioned you know Chinese history. The earliest mm -hmm. recorded instance of a false defector is 1900 BC. Um, that that you know, and I I don't want to cast aspersions on all people from China. There are many good people from China, and, and maybe Miles Guo is a good person from China. But um, objectively looking at the narratives that are um, that are put forward on the right and the left that are divisive, uh, you know, I see Guo and 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 uh, I see Soros as, in a way, uh, very odd characters to be so influential uh, in in on both sides of the of the issue. Um, 
and and my you know pattern recognition if you just go from pattern recognition um we are like we were talking about the cognitive dissonance about uh, surrounding all these different things uh, the narratives about ukraine you know what you're being lied to to some extent when the narratives don't line up with facts when you're suddenly saying things that in retrospect when you take in the larger context seem ridiculous mm -hmm. you realize that wait a minute you know he's jewish but he's a nazi that can't be true you know about Zelensky. um uh, you, you can't, and, and so the thing is, the contradiction is not, in the narrative, indicates that the people that are putting forward certain narratives are actually not who they say they are, right? That's the real contradiction. So, like, for example, Biden, um, who, look, Bukowski, the Bukowski file, and I think I've mentioned this on your show before, uh, he has a Bukowski file where he's got a Central Committee memo about a Biden leading a senatorial uh, delegation to uh, Moscow in, in like 1979, where Biden is saying, look, guys, I'm, you know, I have to say things against you for my constituents back home, but I'm really not against you. You know, Biden's telling this to the Russians uh, back in uh, under the Soviet Union. Uh, Biden, uh, you know, was supported in getting into the Senate by Armand Hammer, who Edward J. Epstein has shown was a KGB agent. And, and they've got, uh, you know, declassified intelligence from Europe showing his activities in Europe in the 1920s. Um, the, the guy was a KGB agent. Uh, you know, the documentation is there. So he helped Al Gore, senior and junior, into the Senate too. And you've got the Council for a Livable World which is basically a communist front. It was set up by communists and Biden praises them and they've been supporting Biden in politics for years and years. So how is a guy with this background actually to be trusted to oppose Moscow? Because Moscow have, they have this file. They have a thick file on Mr. Biden. And I'm sure that, you know, you know, when you get to Hunter Biden laptop and you get to these other things, I'm sure the Russians like to dangle things in front of Biden. Look, we can, we can let things out of the bag that can hurt you. You know, they could say that to Biden. You need to put the brake on this. But, you know, Biden might say in return, look, uh, you'd hurt yourself if you out me because I am your friend after mm -hmm. all. And I'm I'm here. You know, I can do a lot of things for you, but I can't. You, you've really stepped in it by invading you, invading Ukraine. I can't do everything for you, mm -hmm. you know. And so this is you can understand how it works, because after all, these people are you know, you look at Mr. Biden, he's he's not a very nice person, hmm. right? Um, look, the more you, you look into who he is, uh, well, he's you know, a ruthless politician. Yeah, yeah. And look, he wants to be president. He enjoys it. And he wants to run for reelection. And so, you know, whatever you, you think of the Democratic Party, I remember I was at a communist meeting in 1983. Uh, almost um, 40 years ago, 40 years ago this month or last month it was. Uh, and it was a Marxist-Leninist Communist Party member talking about we are taking over the Democratic Party through its left wing and we're going to elect a stealth communist president. Yeah. Did they do that when Clinton got elected or when Obama got elected or when Biden got elected? Are these the creatures of this, this uh, communist takeover of the Democratic Party? When you look at the program of the Communist Party USA, for example, which is called the Road to Socialism, and you read it, everything in there is what the Democratic Party is doing. Hmm. 
you know, it's all about minorities and LGBTQ and wokeness and political correctness and the environment and blah, blah, blah. You know, when Gorbachev retired as the dictator of the Soviet Union, he headed up uh, what was a Green Cross International. He was all he was the big environmentalist guy then, mm. you see. And and so these are all these are all sabotage. These are all operations. Global warming. Really? Do you really believe that? And that that we have to cut off our own oil and gas industry and, and strangle our own economies. <laughs> but not who, China. Who benefits? You know, it's a cooey bono question. Who benefits from that? Yeah. Russia and China, because they're not doing that. Of course not. To their economies. Yeah. We're doing it. We're going to be responsible for the planet. You know, I have not seen the ocean levels rise. Al Gore promised us back in, in 2007 that, you know, the oceans. The polar bears be will be gone by, by now. now. Yeah. I mean, it's just baloney. But nobody's keeping track of this. Nobody's really watching it. And um, so you get to the Ukraine war and, and they 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 have to show their face because Ukraine is too big of a thing for them to just let it go. And what happened in Ukraine wasn't like they can have their buddies running Germany or France. Look at Macron. He's he's ready to uh, to kiss the toes of the Chinese leadership and come back and say, oh, you know, maybe we don't need to be connected to the U.S. The U.S. We don't want to get involved in this conflict between the U.S. and and Russia and China. We do just we, we've got to do our own thing. You know, and, and thank goodness so many people in Europe uh, basically, uh, you know, put, put the thumbs down on Macron. But who is Macron? You know, who is uh, who is Angela Merkel, a former Communist Party member in from East Germany to lead the Christian Democrats? Look, uh, look, um, sue me if you want. But look, I don't like it. And I'm, you know, I'm going to say that this is not good and that we have been misled and that all these narratives, we've been lied to and deceived. And deception is the art that Sun Tzu preached that the Chinese practice and the Russians practice. And the Russians have practiced it so much that they've got the whole, you got Tucker Carlson, like I said before, convinced that Ukraine is the most corrupt country in the world. And Putin's got a reasonable, I mean, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson embarrassed himself with that horrible monologue about russia and ukraine war i didn't see that oh yeah no don't it's painful to watch <laughs> okay. he's a psychologist he's not a political scientist yeah, i know, he doesn't I know, who know he anything is. about the history of the country yeah everybody knows who no, he's, he is. he's got good self-improvement tips but he's yeah, not a geopolitical go, chess master no and he he, he did he, he he whips out mearsheimer who's on the wrong track you know you you turn machiavelli upside down and inside out and you're the devil then you know, um, look, uh, real politic. Yeah, there's there's some element of that, but you you can't leave your morality at the door. And somebody who preaches morality to people the way, is moralistic the way Peterson is, and especially quoting Solzhenitsyn of all people, and then turns around and is defending Putin. Look, um, uh, Mr. Jordan Peterson, you don't know anything about Mr. Putin or Russia or the people that Putin has murdered. He has poisoned them with both biological and mm, nuclear polonium. weapons. Yeah, polonium, polonium is a nuclear weapon. They killed Alexander Livaneko with. Mm -hmm. Those are horrible murders, and they are politically motivated murders. And Mr. Putin is a member of the KGB, was a, was a sword, and, sword and shield of the Communist Party Soviet Union. And his Christianity, is, he says, is, is the communism of Lenin taken right out of the Bible. You know, Putin's own words. So, you know, you're dealing with a with a practiced liar in Putin. You know, he's lying because his lips are moving. Yeah. And the idea that somebody would credit him and his naked aggression against Ukraine, country that that, by the way, Russia promised in the in the um, in the Budapest Memorandum, which is in addition to the uh, nuclear nonproliferation treaty, 
they promised to respect the borders of Ukraine if Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons. Now Ukrainian soldiers are being murdered and tortured by the Russians, and their cities bombed and, and bombarded because they gave up those nuclear weapons. That's what we have to look forward to if we allow our nuclear arsenal to continue to rot. Russia and China will bomb us. Yeah. Because if we if we don't have anything to fire back no with, credible why terms. not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know, because why not bomb? Look at the if the Ukrainians are the Slavic brothers of the Russians, and and Russia and Putin says, you know, we have to rescue our Slavic brothers are so important to us. There are no real Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are just Russians. Mm. This is how he treats his his own, bombing their cities, turning them into rubble. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's just kidnapping. What is it? Is it thirty thousand children that the Russians have I think kidnapped? It's, I think they're or estimating. It's, well, I think they're estimating it's off by an order of magnitude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an enormous number of children uh, that they've taken from parents, and they've they've made refugees out of a significant portion of the Ukrainian. Uh, population have had to flee to Poland and Romania and other countries. And by the way, more than 100,000 young Russians have fled Russia mm. because they don't want to. I mean, there was a Russian banker, I'm forgetting his name now. He he was he had everything. He was rich. He got his job because Putin asked him to take the job. And he left and he's, he's part of it. There's an actual military unit. He's like 50 years old. There's a military unit in Ukraine uh, of Russians. And they want to they they're hoping that this war will cause their country to become free somehow, hmm. ultimately. I wonder if there how many are false. Yeah, well, probably got a couple the in there. Is, yeah, sure. Well, whenever you have a diaspora from a, well, of from course, a, yeah, a yeah. dictatorship, they're gonna plant their agents in that sure. diaspora. Oh, yeah. False defectors. Yeah, of course. That is a standard practice. Controlled opposition, infiltration, false defection. Uh, disinformation, these are all the elements of their strategy. But these things have fallen flat in Ukraine because the Ukrainians have stood up and they're fighting back. And the the Russians have basically run through many of the troops that they raised in the fall, the, the 300,000 that they raised. Uh, it's either a combination of a battlefield, uh, dead, wounded, missing prisoners, and um, uh, basically um, uh, uh, absent without leave, just going AWOL, just leaving their posts, um, uh, desertion, right? Just standard desertion. Um, and, and, I, and so uh, they have, uh, they don't have the wherewithal. That's why Pergozin of, of the Wagner group and, and the army, they're sniping at each other. It's a blame game. Who's at fault for this disaster? Um, and there's a question of whether Russia can hold on to what they've taken, their ill-gotten gains in, in Ukraine, uh, because the Ukrainians are modernizing, getting stronger. Uh, you know, people say the Russians have got, the Russian military has gotten better because, you know, the experience and the fighting makes you better. But at the same time, the Russian, the Ukrainians are getting better. The Ukrainians were better to begin with, as it turns out. And I think that the Russians are not that well motivated to fight and their their leaders don't treat their people right. And so I, I, I just, uh, the Russians actually are pouring concrete for bunkers now and they're digging trenches, which is not a preparation for an offensive. The Russian offensive was the attack on Bakhmut. And although we heard over and over again that Bakhmut fell or was about to fall, my understanding, the latest news is that Bakhmut hasn't fallen yet. And seven months of trying to take this insignificant town 
and you have thrown away, they have thrown away some estimates, 10,000 or more men a month trying to take it. Jeez. It's like, no, uh, not a good idea. Um, but it, it is a country that is, Russia is a country that is morally bankrupt. It is heading for economic bankruptcy. It is um, politically bankrupt. And its military strategy is bankrupt. And they hopefully they'll suck those communist criminals in China and North Korea down with them when they go. And maybe we'll we'll have a, a world where people can really work together and, and not have all this this evil uh, subversion and, and, and building up of weapons and, and so on and starting wars, which China, of course, is threatening against Taiwan. I think that if the Ukrainians had not stopped the Russians, uh, we probably would have already seen some kind of military move in the Pacific by the Chinese. Well, in the in the final 20 minutes or so that I have you, let's get into let's get into Taiwan. What are we going to see there? Are, are we are, is it is it heating up over there? Yeah, there I mean, the the last two military exercises the Chinese held were were not a practice invasion, they were a practice blockade. So I I and I this was my position all along that an invasion by China of Taiwan never makes sense militarily. That, um, but a blockade is is to be expected because, uh, look, um, amphibious warfare, you're dealing with air, land, and sea coordination all at the same time. It requires a lot of practice, a lot of study, a lot of uh, you know institutional uh, you know experience. The United States developed that by doing virtually unopposed landing and Operation Torch in North Africa in World War II, then stepping up and doing the landings against the Italians in Sicily in 1943, and then doing Salerno, you know, and Anzio in Italy. And then finally graduating to Normandy, and then the, all those little invasions in the Pacific, you know, that we did that ended up building up to where you had several Marine Corps divisions um, uh, at, at Iwo Jima landing at once, the tremendous invasion of an island, and the Japanese knew how to fortify islands. So we had this tremendous experience doing this that we built up institutionally. The Chinese have done zero. They've never done an opposed amphibious landing of any kind that's of any seriousness. They practice things on their own coastline. But um, I, I don't believe that China could successfully invade Taiwan. Now, maybe I'll be proved wrong. But I don't think they're going to dare the odds, especially what they've seen happen with the Russians. The Russian military uses uh, equipment, tactics, and uh, organizational structures and doctrines similar to uh, what the Chinese use. Because after all, the People's Liberation Army is modeled off the Soviet Army originally. It's just evolved a little bit away from that, but it's it's extremely similar. And so uh, I don't believe that this is a, a military that could successfully conduct such an operation. Um, I, I think that they have uh, different military plans. The, um, the Chinese and the Russians... The Chinese did something very clever. You've heard of the Two Colonels book, Unrestricted mm -hmm. Warfare, uh, that came out, I think it was in 1999. I've read that book, and, you know, what stuck out to me is the sore thumb. They're telling us how, you know, I'm exaggerating how with um, uh, a toenail clipper and a, and a bobby pin, they can, you know, bring down the United States. It's unrestricted warfare. They think all these low-intensity little things they can do, you know, death by a thousand cuts. So they're going to nick us here and they're going to nick us here and that's how they're going to beat us. Um, 
but you see the book gave itself away because throughout the book there are these little asides like oh nuclear weapons are obsolete oh we don't want nuclear weapons oh it's idiotic to prepare for nuclear war nuclear war can never be fought and won that kind of stuff all throughout the book with the when you when the book was written we know now that the chinese were planning to build a giant nuclear arsenal because they're yeah. doing it now they're getting close to having it now they just bragged a few weeks ago that the russians gave them the technology to mass produce nuclear warheads why would they want that technology unless they were going to do that yet this book was telling us they would never do any such thing and that such a thing was stupid and foolish unrestricted warfare was itself an artful piece of disinformation yeah I've, to get us to believe 24 years ago I've always that they that. were they were not intending to build a big nuclear arsenal yeah. and that, that 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 in preparing to match any chinese buildup we would have a buildup because they didn't want us to start getting back into the nuclear because our nuclear we haven't tested a nuclear weapon since september 1992 we haven't built any new nuclear warheads since around that time and so our nuclear arsenal is way past its shelf life there are even some experts who don't think any of our nukes work Jeez. right there are people who will step and say, oh, yeah, they all work, you know, but nobody knows until you actually test one and not a virtual test, a real test. Yeah. Um, and so and in the longer it goes, we're not going to have a new nuclear warhead, according to the the, the, the head of the STRATCOM until 2029. Yeah, I think it's the Sentinel. Yeah. And are they going to really be able to pull that together? Nobody knows. And I'm, you know, and we, so we've got to, you know, um, you know, Admiral Richard said in, in testimony to Congress, the, the head of STRATCOM back in February of 2020, said that in three years, our nuclear arsenal will be unreliable, be past its shelf life. So I just know you as Congress, you're going to step in and you're going to allow us to, you know, do something. Well, of course, the Democratic Congress, they aren't going to do anything. They weren't going to step in. Nothing was done. So three years later, he's retired now. His replacement has come in. And... You know, it's now we're past February 2023. Our, you know, even by that optimistic setting, our nuclear arsenal is obsolete. And this is why the Ukrainians giving up theirs is so significant. Uh, the whole uh, buildup, the, the whole idea is there. Why haven't the Russians? Why is the Russian army so horrible at conventional warfare? Because they were never meant to fight a conventional war. They were meant to fight a nuclear war. So you didn't need to upgrade the tactics. You didn't need to get fancy. You didn't need to spend. They First of all, they didn't have all the money to have a military as fine as ours. It would cost too much. They're, 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 they're too poor of a country. They can't do it. So they have a big army, a big bloated army, and everything's kind of backwards in it. But it doesn't matter because they got the great got equalizer. The they got the nuclear weapon. So they go, they start out with a bunch of nuclear strikes. And, and what, is a, what is a regiment or a brigade? What is a brigade worth, worth that's been half hit by a nuclear bomb? You think that it's capable of resisting even a stupid Russian commander? Your worst Russian commander is going to go through it like a hot knife through butter because their morale is going to be shot. They're going to have no logistics. They're going to be half blown up. They're going to have all these people who have burn wounds. Radiation you're poisoning. Gonna, yeah, no, the fuck. Gonna, if, if they ground burst, they'll have radiation poisoning. But, but you know, I mean, it, it, will be, it will be really, you know, it will be really a bad situation where uh, a kind of clunky military that just kind of rolls through there can just kind of mop everything up. It's just a mop-up army, right? Well, that's the idea. And if there's a strong point, if there's a town or city that won't surrender, just nuke it. Mm -hmm. Just blow it off the map. If there's a if there's a bunker, if there's something else, just nuke it. 
you know, and here you have, you know, I mean, they had 20,000 nuclear weapons. They didn't dispose of tactical nuclear weapons at the end of the Cold War. Now, we don't know how many of those still work. We don't know what they did. You know, uh, Peter Pry was, uh, you know, the former expert. He was, he thought maybe they, they could all be working or maybe at some percentage, 10,000, 8,000 still. But we have nothing to counter that with in Europe. We, we, our tactical nuclear arsenals there are in the hundreds. And again, there's problems with our arsenals. They haven't been tested and have they been kept up? So we don't know, but the, the nuclear weapon is, uh, Soviet military strategists have said the nuclear weapon is the decisive weapon of the next war. And their concept of, of this war is an all arms nuclear war. You don't just, we think of nuclear wars, you just send bombs and then the world ends. No, they send bombs and their troops come in and they invade and they occupy the territory. And it doesn't matter if some people get radiation poisoning and die, the radiation will go away in, in 13 to 18 days, the, the short-term fallout. The long-term fallout from hydrogen bombs is negligible, and we've already had plenty of the long-term fallout from the above-ground dirty bomb testing in the 50s. So it's not something we haven't already coped with successfully already. So, and it's their world, and if some of it is damaged, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's my screwed-up house. I own it now. I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. And that's the way they view it. The Chinese and Russians both see it that way. Uh, that's the way their government systems, their strategic thought is. And the, the problem is, is that uh, American strategy analysts for too long have not uh, taken any of it seriously. Oh, they can't be serious. They can't mean that it's nuclear world war. I, I was in a room full of uh, American experts when a Russian defector said, we train for one mission and one mission only. For my years in the Russian and the Soviet military was nuclear world war against America. That's yeah, all we that's were it. focused on. That's it. And and that makes perfect sense because look, if you're if you're an overgrown Bulgaria and the only advantage you have are nuclear weapons, you're not going to be winning with your fancy and why are you making hypersonic missiles, which the US doesn't even have successfully have made? Because it's the first strike weapon. It can't be stopped. You want something that's guaranteed to reach the target and destroy it automatically no matter what. And it's a it's a surprise because it happens so fast you don't have time to react. And, of course, why are they infiltrating the country and seeding us with these crazy notions that there's nuclear winter, we'll all die of the cold? That's been debunked for years. You know, I read the study on that. They had a summary at the end of the study. It's a lot of boring math and, and analysis. But the end of the study was in order to create nuclear winter, you would need to make a nuclear warhead the size of the Empire State Building. It would take more than the gross domestic product of all the countries of the world put together. And you would have to go to the moon to mine the uranium because there's not enough uranium on Earth to make the fuel of the weapon. Then you could create a hole in the Earth's crust big enough to create nuclear winter effect. Little footnote. Then you could do it. Yeah, that's a little footnote. But so the, you know, all this scare, there's one more thing about Ukraine I should touch on. And I, I wrote about it a little bit in my last column. Uh, it is with Yuri Felchinsky uh, claiming that, you know, he, by the way, he knew that Russia, that Putin was going to move nuclear weapons into Belarus before it was announced. And so he must have had a source. And people could say, oh, they fed it to him because – but he says something scary. He says they're, they're planning to use the weapon, the weapons they moved into Belarus. But here's the story. They're going to create some kind of altercation where Russian commandos made to look like Ukrainians go and capture the weapons, point guns at the heads of the people who have control over them to enter the codes to fire them at Poland and Lithuania. And so, then Putin could say, I didn't do it. The Ukrainians did it. 
Say that again. And, okay, so the idea that Felshinsky has is this is his that they moved the nuclear weapons in there because they really are planning to use the nuclear weapons on okay. Poland and Lithuania, that they're going to have a false flag. They're going to have Russian commandos disguised as Ukrainian gotcha. partisans seize the weapons and f the base and fire them at Poland and maybe Lithuania. Gotcha. That's Felczynski's – I mean I'm just – you know, I'm maybe yeah. not doing it justice, but that's in a re recent interview. This is what Felczynski said. And, you know, everybody is kind of poo-pooed and Felczynski is, is, is wrong. He's been fed the wrong information, whatever. I'm not so sure because if I'm Putin, this is the kind of thing I'd be thinking of. Hmm. Why would I be thinking that way? I'm losing the war. I don't want to go to nukes because I don't know if the if NATO's nukes work, I'm screwed. So – Maybe I want to find out if they work. Maybe I want to apply that pressure, and maybe Europe will cut off Ukraine if they realize that it's nuclear war that can happen. But I need a plausible, deniable scenario where I can say to the Russian people, look, I didn't do this. They did it. They're trying to pick a nuclear fight with me. Because he's, he's still, he's got to bring the Russian people with him. He's got to be the victim. Right. It's like Russia. You hear the Russian propaganda. We're the victim. NATO is about to invade us. They're they're trying to destroy us. It's like not one NATO soldier has set foot on Russia, but the Russians have invaded Ukraine. And it's all NATO's fault. Um, so uh, what he does basically is I think that this is a solves many uh, problems, because if a nuclear weapon is detonated in Poland at a, let's say, at a at a base in Poland, uh, maybe a supply base or something that they supply yeah. uh, Ukraine from, it, or or maybe an air base uh, uh, or some military base in Poland, um, NATO has to respond with a nuclear strike, and Putin will say, "If you want to destroy the air base in Belarus, go ahead. You know, I understand. Retaliate. You know, we will. We invite you." And it's like. What if we don't, you know, it becomes a nuclear test. What if NATO can't come up with a nuclear weapon that they feel comfortable launching? Because what if it, the launch fails? And what if they send a second one and it fails? What happens then? Mm. Does NATO collapse? Does d d the Russians find out also about the will to use mm. on the part of NATO? And they also find out what countries in NATO might want to drop out of nato once it becomes nuclear no mm. we don't want anything we didn't sign up for nuclear war we're getting out what happens then and you know what i i look at this as a scenario and i'm thinking well you know everybody's saying falczynski is wrong and this 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 doesn't sound plausible i'm thinking you know this is crazy enough to be a russian plan it's crazy enough so i don't i don't say it's going to happen but i'm saying you know maybe it's going to it, I would watch for that, and that would be something that would happen during late spring or summer, maybe. Of this year. Maybe when the Ukrainians are in the midst of their offensive, if that offensive materializes, we don't know yet. Um, and, and as far as Russian casualties, look, I've, I've run through different numbers and scenarios. I think the Russians have, this is probably conservative, 150,000 dead. Jeez. And 100,000 wounded, uh, missing, and whatever. That's my guess. And there's there's other troops that should be there that aren't, maybe desertions. Um, because if you look at the numbers that they have on the front, they're missing too many people. Where do they go? 
if they hadn't suffered those losses, they would be outnumbering the Ukrainians by large numbers by now. Um, I think it was John Mosier, the historian, in, in a recent um, posting suggested, he says, I still think the, the Ukrainians are killing the Russians five or six to one. Wow. And by the way, that ratio is not inconsistent with Russian history, both in World War II and the uh, Russian Civil War and, and other wars like the war in Finland, uh, the Winter War. So um, that's when you have a country inst that's institutions function the way theirs do. Those are the attrition ratios you get. And mm. we shouldn't be surprised when history repeats itself. Just full on meat grinder. Well, on me, Grinder, I mean, you've got accounts over and over again of the Russian commanders using conscripts just as lost leaders where they go out, go, go run over at that. And then they see where their artillery so they can they see where the Ukrainian oh, yeah, artillery no, comes run across and wipes the field. them out and then they fire back. And so they use them to draw fire. They use them as that's the worst kind of cannon fodder. Whereas on the Ukrainian side, they can't afford to do that. They don't think that way about their men. And it's it's tragic. And and so the Ukrainian losses, what are they? The Ukrainians are very quiet about them because if the losses are too low, maybe the West won't feel like they need to give them. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine. And you know, if they're too high, then maybe they're too high yeah. for the, the, yeah, the demoralized. To... The so they, they, the Ukrainians have a, have a dilemma that <laughs> no number, no casualty number is the right number for everyone. It's the fine walk of budgeting, right? Say the yeah. number too high, you're not going to get it. Say it's too low, they're going to say, "Oh, the army doesn't need it." It's just the fine right. line of yeah. Yeah. that that Goldilocks. It's, it's the Goldilocks line. problem, yeah. right? You got to get it just right. And and where is that? Nobody knows. Nobody wants to make that mistake. So I think there's a Ukrainians have a very good reason for keeping these numbers secret. Uh, wish I knew. I've heard so many different things from so many people and different analysts. But I I have to say, John Mosier, as a military historian and and a guy that whose judgment has proven amazing in the past he i contacted him shortly after the war started and he called the whole thing from the beginning wow he knew how this thing was going to go and but he wrote my favorite book on the history of the russian front which is hitler versus stalin uh death ride hitler versus stalin which i've read like three four times because it's so darn good there's so many lessons in it about how the russians make war and those lessons all apply to this one uh, they it really is amazing. It's like taken right out of the books of history. So the Russians have the same deficits they had 80 years ago. So what's your what's your thesis for 2023? We see in a nuclear strike by Russia, or would you gonna war of attrition till next year? I don't know. You know the 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 safe bet. You know the safest thing is to to say that the you know people are afraid. Fear is a natural thing. Uh, not wanting to commit suicide is a big deal. And that even trying some crazy experiment where you're, you drop one nuclear bomb or two on NATO to see what they do is awfully dangerous yeah. and, and, and could uh, put you in a worse doghouse than you ever were. So if I had to – if you put a gun to my head and say, all right, Jeff, guess. I'm going to guess the Ukrainians will have an offensive. They'll have some success, but they won't be able to totally win. And that, but Russia is going to go through more of a crisis, and the Russians won't use nuclear weapon. If I had to make the prediction, I would say they won't use one. Uh, but you know, you can be surprised uh, by these people. These people in, in in at the head of this country, they're not normal people. But I I think that in this case, that's what will happen. 
there will be enormous pressures within the regime for some kind of change and some kind of accommodation because the regime the i think the economic crisis in russia is worse than we're being told they're they're painting a happy face on it and it's not a happy face and the russian people are being really squeezed it's mis it's getting more and more miserable there and their freedom is they're going to live like north korea hmm. this keeps going it's going to be north korea in in their country and and china is uncomfortable with it because china who wanted to go is realizing their economic vulnerability that they can be severely damaged that there's that this trade thing is a two-way street and that there may be more vulnerable look china has 250 percent uh in terms of debt 250 percent of gross national product is debt they're they have more worse debt than we do so we talk about us having debt china has worse and China has, but China has worse problems. It's ruled by communists who don't understand economics, hmm. and they their economy is not truly free. So, without the outside help, they would collapse, and they would collapse in on themselves when they have 1.4 billion people to feed. And I think that in a panicked way, they've maybe become aware of that. It it, and and so that's what's partly saving us from World War Three because I think. I had from many sources that Russia and China were thinking about, well, China especially, thinking about starting a war, a major war, and that they wanted that war to unfold, you know, actually in 2021, 20, you know, the Chinese were pushing, I understood, in late 2020 to mm. start a war, uh, you know, on the back of the pandemic. But um, Russia was dragging its feet. Now you see Russia's troubles. I think they realize their system, you know, when you build a system on lies, you lie to your people and they're lying back up to you. Hmm. So everything is not not in working order. And um, you know, you've probably seen the FSB letters, you know, those letters that got leaked out to France from no. the F F FSB analyst. And he's saying, I don't think the button works, you know, I don't think the red button works the way it's supposed to, you know, he's oh, saying fuck. they all lie, they all cheat, they're all, you know, they're all uh, stealing. Um, it is a kleptocracy in Russia. And um, the military kleptocrats maybe stole 30 billions of weapons procurement money. It's why they don't have the Armada tank and they don't have this and they don't have that. They don't have all these spiffy weapons that they trotted out that they had developed in the late 90s. Where are those weapons? You know, and where are those motivated young men? Um, I think they've killed a number of them off. So, yeah. My buddy, uh, my buddy Roger has a, has a great theory that, uh, that the Russians don't have functioning nukes because the tritium needs to be serviced every number of years. And it's such a small thing. And from the outside, the nukes look the same. And the only way to find out that they don't work is during World War III, which is unthinkable. Why wouldn't they be grifting? Why wouldn't they just not be uh, servicing the tritium? Something to think about. It's yeah. Such yeah. a small well, point of failure and so few people would be read in on it. Yeah, that's right. Well, nuclear weapons industries are extremely complex. It is not an easy thing to maintain. It is not an easy thing to have developed in the first place. Look at Iran trying to develop it. Oh, yeah. The Iranians are not stupid people by any means. The Iranians are a very uh, able uh, nation. Yeah. Um, and and how difficult it is. And I I don't honestly. I I was told by an official of the. Uh, on the sly official of the International Atomic Energy Agency, he did not he did not by any means believe the North Koreans made their own bomb. Really? 
he basically told me that the Russians it gave to it to them. Yeah. Yeah. And that the Russian that. scientists are basically are, are, you know, guiding their, and this is a way that Russia can test its nuclear weapons. They can test their nuclear yeah. weapons in North Korea. They get uh, around the test. Yeah. Right. And right. it's a North Korean test. All right. right. And maybe China's in on that game too. But um, because, you know, that, how do they know their nukes work? Well, they have to test them somewhere. Mm, okay. So, I like that. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So, but we'll see. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a messed up world and, uh, you know, the truth matters and we need to try to stick by it. And, uh, well, the truth will, just, the truth will manifest in any way. It doesn't, water will find its level. It might take a year. It might take a century. It might take a millennia. The truth, it just, it will, it'll come out. It's never not come out. It will. It'll always find the level. So, but to bring it back down to a very microcosm level, despite how utterly screwed it seems to be, doesn't mean that we shouldn't, you know, walk outside and enjoy the sun, hear the birds chirping. By the way, can you edit out that? No, it's already live, right? <laughs> can it's you, already too. Can you edit out late. that? Can you edit out that happy part? No, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, listen, the world's it's on It's just fa- a joke. I didn't mean it. It's just <laughs> a joke. But I'm also looking outside and sunny, no clouds. That's real. That's as real as anything else. Hell, it's real. It's realer than the war to me. I, I, I haven't seen a tank. Now, I'm obviously not denying that's happening, but I mean, in terms of reality, if I didn't know anything, you cut my internet access... I'm just looking outside like, yeah, no, I see some seagulls. What's the problem? Mm-hmm. It's all Gucci. Yeah, there you what go. are you talking about? Yeah. So, but yo, Jeff, we got to wrap this one up. I got another guest. Okay. Um, guys, right. go in the description, find his books, find his Twitter, find his writings. Um, and as you can tell, because I'm very bad at this, I think I texted you last week and I was like, did we have an episode on the books? And you're like, no, that's what happens when I don't schedule one immediately is they just fly off into the ether in the black hole of my mind. Um, so if you could please sometime today, just shoot me a reminder text so I can remember to put one on the books. Because if I don't, I'm I'm juggling Are, so many guests. They they, I just I can't recall anything. A reminder for what? Just just shoot me a reminder to to schedule the next episode. Oh okay. Because All I right. think it's been a couple months since we were on. It just dawned on me last week. I was like, I haven't talked to Jeff in a while. No, we we scheduled one for right now. About now, we scheduled it at the time. But I think it was only last week when I when I texted you. Yeah, that's true. That's that's what I mean. Is like that's what I mean. Is 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 I try to schedule one so it doesn't dawn on me in August that I haven't talked to you in a while because I like having you on. So just, just shoot me a reminder text. Just literally text okay. me the word reminder, and that will – I do this all the time. Trust me. Okay. All right. There's there's a method to the madness. It may not appear that way, but there is. All righty. Jeff, love talking to you, man. You're a cool dude. Guys, go check him out. Mr. Nyquist, Till next time, man. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you for watching. Stay Recording safe out there. Stopped. Peace.